This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And we are so excited. We are covering Mistborn, chapters 8 and 9. And the reason we're so excited is because we finally finished reading Mistborn. Oh, it was so good. So good. What a satisfying end to a book. Obviously, we're going to talk about everything in due time, but now there will be spoilers, potentially more spoilers. We have more context about everything in the book. I think one thing I really appreciated was that obviously this is a trilogy and there is a subsequent second Mistborn trilogy. So there are six books thus far in the Mistborn saga. But book one, you could just read on your own and be done. Like it's a complete story. There were yeah. no cliffhangers. Things were, well, there were some, but like it, it tied up in a very satisfying way. It really did. And it's funny because I was going to bring that up, but you beat me to the punch. Oh, sorry. No, no. Great minds. It was just such a wonderful read. Uh, obviously, some heartbreaking moments there, but <sighs> I loved that the second it was done, you and I just kind of sat there and just like took a deep breath. Like, wow, that was so good. Such a satisfying ending, especially, and not to point the finger, but in comparison to the name of the Wind books, which have no conclusion so far, it was really nice to read a well-established fantasy author who has wrapped up a series. Yes. I'm really pointing the finger at you. We're looking at you, Pat. (laughs) Finish the book. (laughs) No, really, really awesome story. I had us go to the library, and we already started on book two. Yes, just got into that. I think I'm going to try to not talk so much about what we know from book two as we go through this book, but it's sort of inevitable as we just make our way through the Mistborn series. I'm interested to see if there's any minor seeds sown. I don't think so. I think it'll be more just happenstances from the events of the first book influencing the cycle on the second. We'll find out, I think, as we read through. Yeah. I think you and I aren't as familiar with Brandon Sanderson, but all of his books do connect as part of the larger Cosmere universe. And I think there's probably a lot of stuff that we potentially missed or didn't quite understand as it ties into or influences other books and i am also reading one of his other standalone books warbreaker right now and i have noticed a couple of crossover things Mm. so there's definitely potential there very cool we do have a couple other quick announcements before we get into chapters eight and nine the first one being that this upcoming week our podcast turns three super exciting Can't believe three years have gone by. Yeah. We've covered a lot of books on here, though. I know. I think we'll be approaching our 100th episode in the near future. Yep. This episode that's coming out, this one right now, is episode number 85. So we'll probably do something exciting for episode 100. Yeah. We definitely need to do something cool. We, I think, have covered eight or nine books so far, and we have surpassed 26,000 downloads. So I would call this whole project a success so far. But to celebrate the advent of the third birthday of the podcast, I guess you can call it, 
we have recorded a special episode covering H.P. Lovecraft's short story, The Call of Cthulhu. It is not near and dear to our heart, but near and dear in the fact that it takes place in the town we live in. So it was very cool to be able to go and look at some of the sites that are mentioned in the story. And we'll talk about that more on that episode, but just keep your eyes peeled for that. And then next week, we are also dropping the first episode of the next mini-series, which covers the book, I'm Sorry, Here's a Plasma Rifle by Aaron Hall, which is a section of short stories and poems focusing on the sci-fi genre, I believe. Yeah, so very excited to dive into that. It's always fun for us to get a little bit of high fantasy and sci-fi in the mix. I enjoy all these different factions of worlds, and I'm excited to explore it all with you. Mistborn will continue as regularly scheduled every other week, but other than that, there will be extra bonus episodes dropping all throughout March. It's a big month for us, so we're mm-hmm. very excited. Spring is coming, and we are getting out of winter hibernation mode. <laughs> so last week, we dropped a poll in our episode asking people which part of Kelsier's plot they would want to be most involved with. The options were helping Marsh infiltrate the ministry, helping Ham, Yeadon, and Breeze gather and train troops, helping Kelsier start the house war, and helping Vin and Renew infiltrate the nobility. So we had an even split in answers between people wanted Kelsier's job of starting the house war and people wanting Vin and Renew's job of infiltrating the ministry. Good answer, good answer. Did you have a a thought of what you would want to do if you were part of this crew? Hmm. I mean, want versus, like, what I think I would be better at. Okay, you can answer both. Yeah, I think I would want to be like Vin and infiltrate high society, get the hot gossip, spill the tea. I have no poker face, so I think that would probably be the hardest one for me. Exactly. I'm not sneaky, so I think I would give myself away in, like, five minutes. (laughs) Um, I think I would probably be better at something like Breeze, like, helping inspire people to join the cause Mm, and yes you know gather forces i don't think i'd want kelsier's job and i absolutely would not want marsh's job marsh has got the short stick that is the hardest and most dangerous job of them all i would not want that one i think i would most want kelsier's job i like the idea of like the nighttime sneaking and prowling and pulling strings in ways that nobody knows you are. Mm-hmm. I think I would probably be best at like Ham's job of just like training troops because it's the lowest stakes and you're just I mean, like running important. drills and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's not the lowest stakes, but I feel like it's less likely that they're going to get caught out in the caves, whereas like Vin is like in the thick of it. Right, where Kelsier is doing these like skirmish heists and sabotaging these high family houses. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so much danger involved with it yeah those are results of our poll we'll continue to put those out if you listen on spotify they're just under the show notes so if you just scroll down to the episode description you can participate in the polls every week they're really fun but i think without further ado we're ready to get into chapters eight and nine chapter eight so we have the continuation of vin taking her leap of faith with kelsier and she is using allomancy to fly over this tall wall. Poor Vin. This is such a rough way to get launched, literally, into the world of allomancy. I know. She's, like, flying through the air. Wind is, like, rippling through her hair. She's, like, freaking out a little bit. 
But she lands where she's supposed to. They land up on the wall. And I like that Kelsier says, like, I would have had you no matter what. And it was very much like, you can trust me. Uh, I'll always have your back kind of thing. Well, then they do. Because remember, they jump up. But then he says, all right, we're going to jump down on the other side of the wall out into the mists. And poor Vin is, like, more nervous about jumping down. Mm. Kelsier jumps. And then Vin is caught by Kelsier. Yeah. Like, she doesn't execute this one quite as well. She does, as we've seen throughout the books, like, have an unnaturally fast learning ability, but it's really tough for her in these first few minutes. Which I do enjoy the process, because nothing's more boring than, like, a Mary Sue character who's, like, automatically good at everything. She's she's quite good. I think she does see later other Mistborn are better than her. Yes. And she does have the disadvantage of being smaller, which right now as they're talking about pushing and pulling is really just tied to your body size there's not much you can do to change that no and so physically she's a little bit at a disadvantage being smaller and lighter than most people but in a way it can play to her advantage because that means she's quicker yep smaller and quicker so, so she must be clever other side of the coin mm-hmm. kelsier does in this moment talk to about how people can't pull or push metals that are inside your body, which I think is something that he hadn't mentioned in the previous chapter during his whole Alamancy exposition. He lets Vin continue to wear the earring that her mom gave her or that she has from her mom. And he talks about if you could push and pull metals that were in someone, you could rip them out of Alamancer's stomachs, like that they'd eaten for power. And it's also how the Inquisitors can have the spikes in their eyes. So it's a little bit of a small loophole, I think. But it's important, I think, that it was addressed that you can't just pull metals out of somebody's body. You know, you can't you can't blood bend, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It's like if there's iron in their blood. <laughs> right. Definitely a little bit of limitation there. Yep. So now that they're out of the city, they start walking. And Vin's never been out in the mist. This is a brand new experience for her to be like out of a city, just out in the world. Right. She says she's been in the mists as part of nighttime heists, but that's the extent of her experience. And she is so nervous. And I think if I was anyone in this world, I would not go out at night. No, definitely not. There's way too many rumors and legends about mistwraiths and mistborn and misting, but it also just the lack of ability to see where you're going is really difficult and terrifying. Dictionary.com defines it as homicleophobia, and that is the fear of mists. And it's very similar to thalassophobia, which is the fear of deep, dark water. So a little bit of that fear of the dark unknown, what is lurking out there. And Vin is very on edge. I think it also plays into the idea of feeling very small in something very large and not knowing what else is potentially in that space with you. Yeah, you're enveloped. Speaking of which, what is in this space with them is a mistwraith. Yeah, so creepy. So I didn't think they were going to be real when I first started reading. I mm. thought they were part of built-up lore and mythology, like local folklore. The way that in Name of the Wind, he always talks about things like shamblemen. But are they real? Who knows? Yeah, I thought it was going to be like, oh, mistwraith, that's just... 
something they tell kids to stay inside and out of the mist, but nope, they are nightmare fuel. Yeah, do you want to talk about what the heck they are? So they are amorphous creatures that act as scavengers and eat animals and people, like corpses that are left behind, and take on the physical attributes of the bodies they eat and digest. I think when they're young like this, because we know that they grow into Chondra, when they're young like this, I think they don't have the ability to determine which of the things that they've eaten they want to look like. So I think it just creates this huge like glob of everything. It's literally described as a mound. So I almost imagine it, even though it's described like transparent-like with all these appendages and organs and bones, almost like a clear like sludge pile of like limbs and features i was imagining like a jellyfish but full of skeletons of all other animals yeah like it's gross it's so gross oh it's so creepy kelsier's very casual about it he takes vin to go look at it obviously vin is disturbed and appalled at this thing yeah she's total nope about it <laughs> yeah i would be too but kelsier said that they can't see very well they just have a good sense of smell which is why this one's been following their trail mm -hmm. so he's really not concerned about them like vin i would be pooping my pants right now yep, I'd be like, i'm ready to go back inside like i thought these were not real <sighs> so gross so gross there is a little blurb here that is a tidbit of information that kelsier says because vin is asking if mistrates are smart or intelligent or if it's just following their scent. And Kelsier says, Intelligent? No, not one this young. More instinctual than intelligent. Mm. Which I think you and I now know, like, when they're older, yes, they are intelligent. Yes. I don't want to dive into too much of that just yet, but I will just say I'm glad I called it what I did. You called it, and I totally thought you were wrong, and I'm pretty sure there is audio evidence on a different episode of me saying you're wrong <laughs> so just vindication vindication yes <laughs> terrible joke anyways as they continue to make their way through the mist they arrive at a carriage and we meet my favorite character you know him you love him your favorite terraceman sazen he's the best he's my favorite character we don't mo know much about him in this chapter. Vin says something about like, oh, you're a terraceman. We know from the map in the front of the book that the terrace lands are up north compared to where they are now. It's a very like mountainous region. And the terracemen typically live lives as stewards and attendants for the high nobility. So they occupy this weird space of not being noble, but also not being ska. They're foreigners and as we learn throughout the book they have been severely persecuted in particularly by the lord ruler himself trying to wipe out the terrace people mm. so he meets them at their carriage and he is very like lavish he's got you know his formal steward's robes on he welcomes them into the carriage and we find out that they are heading to Feliz, which is the city where lord renu lives so we're meeting a lot of new characters in this chapter. Yeah, the plot's definitely opening up right here. And I think Vin is just kind of taking Sazed in. She notices all his 
embroidered robes and jewelry and is just kind of interested to see what he's all about because she hasn't met any terrorist men before. Right. On the way in this carriage, there's a really important conversation that Kelsier and Vin have. So it starts off because Kelsier's watching Vin and every time he observes her, she is sort of huddled away, making herself very small and unnoticeable. And he's thinking about what a hard life she's had. Oh, there's two parts of this conversation that are really tough. The first is um, she acknowledges the fact that Kelsier and Marsh don't get along. And she is comparing it to herself and Reen. And it's not really comparable at all. No, she's like, how did you get away? You know, did you have to beat him? Did you have to like run away and escape? That's the only sibling relationship she knows. She just thinks that that's how they all are. I think Kelsier now realizes like Vin has had an extraordinarily hard life. Right. Like she doesn't have just a chip on her shoulder. She has lived a life that he can never even imagine. She's a survivor. Right. Kelsier also a survivor. And I think that's why they get along so well. They do. I think they've just had to survive very different things. Kelsier's trauma came more as an adult and Vin's as a child. Yeah. But they do, I think, in my opinion, have like a good teacher, mentor, father-daughter type relationship as the books go on. Mm Mm-hmm. But right now, Vin is still pretty untrusting. She asks Kelsier why he taught her all that stuff about Alamancy. Because remember, in the earlier chapters, she was like, he'll hold knowledge from me to keep me under his control. Yeah. So she's skeptical about why he just gave her all that information. Yeah, and Kelsier is very altruistic. He's like, I want people on my team that I can trust and that trust me. You're free to go at any time. And here is the all or nothing moment where Kelsier says, Here's 3,000 boxings. It's technically yours from when you were on Cayman's crew. I only want people on my team that want to be here. And if that's the case, we'll let you go now. And you can move on and do other things. I think it's a good parallel. You have Cayman and Kelsier, you know, the crew leader who ruled by fear and then the crew leader who rules by like friendship and trust and love. And then you have the Lord Ruler who's the dictator who rules by fear and Kelsier trying to replace him with a government that rules by like trust and honor. Mm. So it's, it's good parallels. And I think it also explains why Vin is skeptical of Kelsier's plan is because she's never successfully experienced working on a crew where she hasn't been loyal out of fear. Yeah. So she can't understand a government or a world where people would be loyal out of altruism. Exactly. I think in this moment, Vin is also trying to convince herself as well to either stick with this or give it up. Where Very good point. She goes, you know, I think your plan is crazy. We can't defeat the final empire. They're going to crush our army. You know, what What are we doing this all for? And Kelsier just says, we're just gonna have to do the best we can. Eventually, Vin decides, you know, she'll stay. And I really like her reason. She goes, I just want to see what happens. I think that's fair. I don't think it would be realistic for her as a character to believe in their cause at this point. Like I just said, she doesn't have any experience that would make her want to act in this way. Or I think she also doesn't feel powerful enough or empowered enough to create large waves of change. She just so far has tried to make herself small and little. She doesn't see herself as someone who can do big things. Mm. It would be like an ant trying to 
overthrow a human. Right, that's how she feels. So they arrive to Renu's Manor, and it is quite lovely. It's got gardens, it's very stately. Clean, washed stone, you know, there's no ash heaps or anything. It just, it looks the part of a high nobleman's manor. And Renu looks the part of a high nobleman. Yes. It says he has a rich suit on, he's got spectacles or glasses, he's got a mustache, and it's not really his appearance that Vin finds imposing or convincing, it's just his bearing and his manner. She notes that Cayman had always been really good at impersonating nobility, but he had that sort of haughtiness. Yes, and arrogance. Definitely the idea of Kavoth going into that tailor shop in Name of the Wind and being like, clothe me. Yeah. I'm a noble. Whereas Renu has that sort of stately grace that comes with age and experience. And Vin can't comprehend the fact that this is not a real noble person. Like, she immediately feels uncomfortable around him. Yeah, she shrinks, can't make eye contact, is, like, not wanting to be around him. No. Very uncomfortable. But he invites them in, even though it's late at night. And Vin is almost nervous to go in at first because the house is so clean. She's never been in a place that's not stained by ash or soot. She's always you know, filthy and dirty. So it's weird for her, especially now that she's walked through the fields with Kelsier and is covered in ash, to then trail it into someone's home when she knows that Ska are going to have to clean it up. Right. But there is actually a very important observation here. She notices that the Ska workers don't seem beaten and despondent. They seem to take pride and are happy with their work. Right. They're treated well. Exactly. I was going to say a sign of them being treated well. Renu has his servants get them some food, and Renu and Kelsier go off to have a private conversation. Vin is a little miffed by this and frustrated that she isn't part of the conversation. And this is another moment where Reen's voice is kind of in her head, like, why why would you expect to be part of everything? Kelsier has been showing me too much trust. Now, Now I feel entitled. Yeah, she's very full of self-doubt. I like this scene, too, because it just does a really good job of showing and not telling the kind of life she's lived. So she's presented with food and drink. She won't drink the drink because she hasn't prepared it herself, but she won't pass up food. So she's, she's just eating fruit, feeling a little grumpy about being left out, and then... Feels very uncomfortable at the fact that Sazed is just sort of standing sentinel behind her. Oh, I love this. Where she tells Sazed, oh, you know, can you not stand right next to me while I'm eating? Right, like this is something that's very normal for Sazed to do as a steward. And it's also something very normal for nobility to expect. And she is so uncomfortable with the arrangement. And then Sazed just walks literally right next to her and just stares down like smiling. (laughs) So that definitely broke the ice. She goes, oh, I didn't realize Tarasman had a sense of humor. And they start kind of opening up to one another very mildly, getting to know one another. There is definitely some mention here, too. And it's good foreshadowing about they're talking about the plan and what people believe in. Because Vin is wondering how Sazed ended up here and if if he's in the know or if he actually is acting the part of just a true steward and he calls her bluff and he's like oh how did i end up here as part of a plot to overthrow the government 
And it leads to them talking about systems of belief and how Vin isn't sure what she believes in. But Sazed says, oh, well, if you aren't sure, and if you find that the teachings of the ministry don't suit you, I could offer you alternatives. Yeah. Which we then, you know, as the book goes on, Sazed is constantly talking about religions and belief systems that he has memorized and known as a keeper. You know, it's one thing I was thinking about more and more lately. Hmm? All these religions he brings up, I'm wondering if some of them are practiced in the Cosmere. I think so. That's cool. Yeah. So the book that I'm reading, Warbreaker, is not more religious oriented, but there's like people who are seen as gods, like living amongst the population. Okay. And so I think there's cults of worship, and then there's people who don't believe in that. They believe in more of something like a one all creator type of god and there's a lot of different like branches of religion in that book and it takes place across three different lands so i think religion and the powers that people see as religious or not religious are something that's really important in the cosmere just from what i've like gleaned by reading Mm. that's really cool though yeah i like it i also don't know the order of books the timeline of right the cosmere I'm i'm trying not to spoil too much for myself yeah, I'd rather read and then find out. Yeah. But one of these days, we'll have to see if there's a Charlie Day yarn conspiracy wall. Oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty out there. While Vin and Sazed continue their conversation on religions and what the world could be like without the Lord Ruler and people wanting to indulge in the faiths of their fathers... Kelsier comes back into the room with Lord Renew and they address them a potential problem with the plan and it's what to do with Vin. I think it's tough because Dachshund was supposed to be Renew's heir, right, is the original part of the plan. And so they're trying to figure out how to fit Vin in to the nobility. At first, Kelsier's like, oh, just make Vin your heir. But Renew's very clever and says, even if a girl her age could inherit, it would be a little bit suspicious to do that. And then on top of everything, having her as like a new member to the court as an heir to my house, that would make her hand very, very eligible. And we don't want to give her too much attention. Yeah. Like we just want to make her sort of a background member and like integrate her slowly. We don't want to put her up on a pedestal right away. No. And I think it was very smart for them to come to the conclusion of she's like a favorite niece. That she wants to represent the house for social obligations when he doesn't want to go. Right, because she wants to like become more experienced in the ways of the court because she's from the country. Yeah. So it's a good cover story. Vin ends up fulfilling this cover story as her alibi Lady Valette. Yes. And it does work out quite well because especially Renew cannot go to the balls himself. His cover would get blown, I think. Yes. The end portion of this chapter... Kelsier then assigns Sazed to be Vin's caretaker and overseer. Well, he's like her steward now. Yes, thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Yep. And thus begins the new dynamic. Mm hmm. That actually is the end of part one of the book. And I think it was a really good job at setting up all of the parts of everyone's roles in the plot. I think it was very well established. I think at this point of the book when we were reading it the first time, I remember just feeling like really excited of like, we have a plan, we have a mission, being excited to see how it plays out. It was a good way to set it up. So the part one, just so we like review, was called The Survivor of Hassan. 
Kelsier comes into the world and he's the spearhead and the leader of this plan. I think that was a good name for part one. Yep. Part two is called Rebels Beneath a Sky of Ash. And I like that portion because it does delve into a lot of building the army and getting the forces allocated and weapons stockpiled for the confrontation. Right. The the plot really comes into motion in part two. One line I just kind of wanted to pick at right at the end of this chapter that I really enjoyed was Vin is going to her rooms and getting ready for sleep. And she turns to Sazed and says, Kelsier is a good man, isn't he? And Sazed agrees. She says, you know, I don't think I've ever known a good man before. And she lets the door swing shut. And I think that's kind of symbolic of leaving her old life of distrust behind. Yeah. And I just, it's a really, it was super subtle, you know. Brandon Sanderson have to be like, she, you know, relinquished the shackles of her doubt. You know, it was just a very subtle phrase, but you could really feel the mood of that. Sam, if there's one thing I've said on this podcast many times before, it's that I love audiobooks. They let me bring my stories with me anywhere I go, and I've listened to audiobooks while driving, cooking, working out, traveling, and even recently, kind of weirdly, well, at the dentist. <laughs> Our sponsor, Audible, can help bring your books with you wherever you go. Right now, our U.S. listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible, the destination for audiobooks and podcasts, when they go to audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. On Audible, you can download and listen to thousands of audiobooks, including one that I myself narrated, and catch up on all of your reading today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. And to make it even easier, that link is in the show description. Happy listening! Chapter 9 so the blurb at the beginning of chapter nine is one sentence, and it says, in the end, I worry that my arrogance shall destroy us all. And that's very ominous at this point in the book. I still had not decided if this was the hero or the Lord Ruler. I guess they're one and the same, but not. Yes. And with this quote, you're not wrong. He's not wrong at all because- He's too trusting. Well, I think- since we know what happens, this sentence I want to talk about is that the person who was set up to be the hero to defeat the deepness, which still don't know what that is, is prophesized in the terrorist prophecies as being the hero. And even though he doesn't really want this role, he does accept it. And I think that that is seen as arrogance by the person, i.e. Rashek, who ends up defeating him and taking his place. So the arrogance sort of does destroy the whole situation in the end i always when i re-go through these chapters and see these blurbs i try and look at it from both sides for me i felt like the arrogance that shall destroy us all was the arrogance of trust what do you mean like he's too trusting of his companions that they're just gonna go with him you know seizing his destiny I mean, that's kind of what Kelsier is asking his companions to do. Right. And there was a lot of parallels. There were a lot of parallels. Between, you know, what we know of the Lord Ruler and Kelsier and his acclaim to fame. But seeing how that all played out, I absolutely loved why it was done so purposefully. But the person who's writing these 
isn't the Lord Ruler. It was the person who was supposed to become the savior. Yeah, unnamed hero number five. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I got cast. I'm unnamed hero number five. Yes! Yeah, I just, I like now that we've finished the book, being able to go back and look at all of those sentences and all of those blurbs because they really perplexed me. I really, really, really thought that they were the hero who failed, which I guess technically was not untrue on the back of the book. It just really like threw me for a loop. Yeah, I kept thinking it was like a fail and like a change of heart or like a corruption. That's what I was thinking too. But then I was like, maybe he did just die and maybe this Lord Ruler is like the deep but then they kept saying he defeated the deepness maybe the answer was like hiding in plain sight the whole time but it was really hard for me to parse out what was going on with such little bits of information at the beginning of each chapter agreed so chapter nine opens with a time jump it's been a couple of months since the end of part one and vin has been really practicing her allomancy yeah she is awesome there's this whole sparring session between her and Kelsier and she is just in tandem switching metals and performing acrobatics and going on offensive and defensive skills and it's just so well written yeah and another thing that the entire time during this fight is that Kelsier is just referred to as he so we're left wondering who Vin is fighting so I really did think at first that she was Like, we jumped far enough ahead in time that she was helping Kelsier on his raids and was, like, fighting other Mistborn, but it's just practice. It is really exciting. Like, the the creativity and the implementation of Allomancy, I think, is one thing that makes it a really compelling magic system because of the way that Mistborn can use all of the components in tandem. Like, there's one part where, where Vin uses steel pushing to like throw her coins away as a distraction for Kelsier and watches him like fly off in the distance so she does sort of like a faint move they get into like a pushing match at one point against a coin and there's a great line here where Vin in her head says will not be beaten and I think obviously in the moment she's talking about not getting beaten in this sparring match but I think it's also a parallel of her saying like in her previous life, like she'd been physically beaten so many times before by like Reen and Cayman and other crew members. And now that she is this powerful and we're seeing all her powers come together in this opening scene of chapter nine, like Vin will not be beaten anymore. No, never again. And I sort of like creed within her mind of like keep that flame alive, stay strong. Mm-hmm. And so this sparring session ends up close to a draw. Vin drops her daggers at one point, which definitely does not help her win. No. <laughs> Kelsier, you know, does congratulate her on her swift improvement and performance and that she's really getting the hang of it. He does give her the coin from this push match that she keeps on till the end of the book, which I really didn't pick up on until the end. She says she keeps it because she can't get used to throwing away money, even though, like, to us, these would be, like, pennies. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Kelsier mentions, too, is, like, you don't actually have to, like, physically, like, push or pull your hands when you're pulling and pushing with your allomancy, which is why she dropped her daggers. So that's something that I hadn't realized as a reader, but I think it's also something really cool in terms of fighting. Like, you can be pushing and pulling mentally and not giving away your hand by physically showing what you're doing. Yeah, I think I would be doing the same thing Vin would, too, in the beginning of, like, feeling like you had to physically act out the motion in order to do the 
task. Right. Like that's exactly what I would be doing too. But it's cool because then if if you're a mistborn, you're not just a a misting. Like you could be pushing and pulling metals at the same time as you're like in physical combat with somebody. Yeah. So you can do it all. It's really impressive the dynamic capabilities of the power set. And I think it was a really good way to open not only like we didn't need a whole training montage then. It shows time's going by. It shows Vin is improving, but it it's just another way to keep the magic part of this fantasy world that doesn't have a lot of magic users in it. I agree. The exposition portion is done and now we can just enjoy what is able to be accomplished with this magic system and improving with practice is now like the way it's demonstrated, which is a lot more enjoyable for reading. Right. Like we're not reading the manual anymore. Yeah. Press the A button, too. <laughs> right, yeah, level one. So after the fight concludes, Kelsier goes off to do one of his night raids, i.e. just continuing fuel the fires of the house war. Vin goes and collects her coins, because like I said, she's not used to leaving money behind. And as she makes her way back to the manor, she's just thinking about everything before her. She has really taken to Allomancy. She feels really powerful and strong in that, but she is so, so nervous about infiltrating the nobility. No, it's a daunting task. She was not formally trained in etiquette. She does not have the appearance of anyone that's very courtly. So there's a huge learning curve. She has this line where she's talking about how she's so good at Allomancy, which is living in the shadows and learning to be like sneaky so therefore being out in the open in balls and in nobility is like the exact opposite of what she's good at yeah so it's incredibly out of her comfort zone she ends up making her way back to house renew she meets sazed and he introduces her to a house member called kosan she's like a housekeeper there and they are gonna cut vin's hair so she needs to start looking the part of a noble girl. So they start cutting Vin's hair. They're trying to like trim it and make it less unruly. Vin is used to having it cut short like a boy's because she's always hiding amongst guys as a thief. And it's been growing out the past few months. So they're trying to give it, what, more of a bob look or is it? I think they're trying to make it like a little bob haircut. Yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> I, too, have my hair cropped short like a boy's bin, so I don't know. Pixie cut for the win. Yep. I think this was a small way to get in physical descriptions of Vin, because the fact that she's small and 16-ish, we don't really know much about her. Mm. Kosan is, like, touching her hair and talking about how it's, like, thick and black and very luxurious, and a lot of noble women would be jealous to have hair like hers. We never really meet Kosan again, and... It just feels almost like a small filler scene with her hair getting cut. I don't know. It's a way of introducing that next phase into stepping into court society, I think. Getting out of her comfort zone, sculpting and cultivating her hair, something she's not used to doing. Yep. And since she's stuck at the moment getting her hair cut, Sazed uses the moment to try to present some more religions to Vin, but then also quiz her on her cover as Lady Valette Renew. Mm. So he tells her about a religion called Frelism. It's all about people who worship the stars and the night. So he thinks that Vin would like that because she likes being a mistborn. 
And it's also revealed that Sazed knows 562 religions or belief systems. He just says he has methods, so we'll leave that as a little tidbit for later. But he has a lot memorized, and he does want to pass on all this information to Vin and have her choose a religion at some point. He also talks to Kelsier at different points throughout the book about like different religions and belief systems. So Sazed's very helpful in world building, but this all does come to fruition at the end, I think. It helps Kelsier build his like final plan. Yes. As Sazed and Vin are going over her alias as Lady Valette Renew, it's building her cover story that she was over in the countryside and that they're from the Western Dominance in Chakoth, where her parents export wool and dye fabrics, and that she is coming to Luthadel to learn the ways of court. It's not a far stretch. Lady Valette Renew is supposed to feel amazed and a little overwhelmed and flattered. So I think it is not a stretch of the imagination for Vin to put up this kind of front when she first gets there. Yeah, I think it works really well to her favor. Vin ends up finding her personality along the way, and I think she's a bit more bold and outspoken than she is now. Because like you and I have mentioned, she's just lived in survivor mode for so long. She hasn't really like come into her own. But it's a good good cover for her to live as Valette. And <laughs> Saza does give her a little jibe of like, I wonder how much better you would be at knowing your cover if you dedicate a little bit more time to it the way you're always dedicating time to learning allomancy. Yep. And she sasses him back and she's like, are all Terrasman stewards? Do they give this much lip to their... <laughs> <laughs> They're people. And then she immediately apologizes, though. She's like, I just, there are funner things out there. I think there's funner things. And like, it is so overwhelming to her that I think she just doesn't really want to do it. Alamancy's new and amazing and awesome, and she's good at it. And then the idea of having to learn to do something that she's not interested in and she also doesn't really want to do, she's just been avoiding. But they finish cutting her hair. Kelsier comes in just as they're finishing up. He says it looks good, and they're all like, Vin will turn you into a lady at some point, and she's not really happy about that. Definitely a little bit of a jab. Like, it's it's met in good fun, but... Right, and it, it's important because, like, we'll turn you into lady, like, for part of the plan. They're not trying to change Vin. No. But she needs to work on her alias a little bit more. For sure. Especially because at the end of this chapter, it's revealed that she has to go to her first ball at the end of the week. Dun dun dun! It's party time! Kelsier ends up collecting Sazed and they go to a side room. They leave Vin finishing up with Kosan so that she can't eavesdrop on them. Kelsier's talking to Sazed about how Vin is progressing. Like, this is just a little debrief, talking about if she is ready or not. And Sazed says, like, she's very clever, she's very smart. Kelsier says, you know, a lot of street kids are because you have to be. You're not going to survive if you aren't. They're not going to be able to tell until they just put her out there. No. Is what it comes down to. And unfortunately, it's kind of do or die. Kelsier does tell Saza, they'll go with her as her chaperone, but ultimately we, we have to give this a try. Right. He says they can't stop the plan for one crew member. Like if Vin is not up to the task, they will find somebody else. Kelsier's really worried about time. Yeah. I know they put this time constraint on themselves, 
And since you and I finished the book, we know Kelsier has like eight other plans on the back burner also going at the same time. You think that's why there's such a time constraint? I think once he started them going, you can't really like stop. Yeah. You know, they're all building to the same conclusion point and he needs them all to get there at once. Saza does say that Vin has sat in with meetings with Renew when there's like noble guests in the house and that's, you know, that's gone well. So hopefully it'll be okay. Yeah. They also talk about, because Kelsier is crunched for time, sending Vin to train with individual members of the crew, like sending her with Breeze, sending her with Ham, so that she can learn from the other Mistings about all of the abilities. Which I love. I think that was such a great way to see some of the Mistings shine as individuals, but also see like any insights that they can glean from being experts in their own craft. Yeah. And obviously we see that a lot with Ham and Breeze being exceptional alamancers even the the short interaction down the line with marsh i really appreciated what people can do by burning bronze i thought that was really cool yeah it's good it's good like training montage but it's also a good way to like keep tabs on what's happening with each member as they perform their branches of the plan and just a great way to see like more of these characters and who they are right it helps fill out the story quite a while yeah Something that's also like dropped in as they're talking all about all of this is that Kelsier's really impressed with how strong Vin is as an Alamancer. Like mm-hmm. he told her that she was progressing well, but he mentions that pushing match that they got into and says, she's way smaller than me, but that was a tough pushing match. Like she's she's pretty powerful. Yeah, she's more than well on her way. But like you said, I think it's really important to remember that Vin is not like a child of destiny. She's not the hero that was like picked from prophecy like she's just a kid yeah she is exceptionally good at alamancy but she does struggle in other aspects and there are alamancers out there who are better than her and i think that that's makes her a really good main character yeah you want them to be flawed so they can grow so you are excited for their successes and failures and it allows them to grow exactly and speaking of successes and failures and learning to grow like I said before, this chapter ends with Kelsier talking to Sazed about the fact that Lord Venture, who is the most powerful house, great house, is throwing a ball at the end of the week, and Vin is going to be there, ready or not. Sink or swim, it's time. Yep. So this is where we end our episode for this week. I am very excited that we're getting into like the thick of the plot now. Right, everything's really taking off. Part one was all about setting up all the different aspects of the plot, each person's assigned roles, but part two is really about the implementation of those. We're going to start seeing Vin learn with other mistings. We're going to start seeing her go to balls. We're going to start seeing like the fruits of all their labor, and it's really exciting. Definitely. So this ends our episode for this week, guys. Be on the lookout for our bonus episode coming out covering H.P. Lovecraft's short story, The Call of Cthulhu, as well as our debut episodes covering I'm Sorry, Here's a Plasma Rifle by Aaron Hall. And the next Mistborn episode covering chapters 10 and 11 will be coming out as well. So, a lot of fun content coming your way. And until next time, listeners, happy reading. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more... 
check us out at fantasticbookspod.com where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks. Golden Rise Media. Thank you.